Good evening, good evening, good evening. We want to welcome you to St. Paul Online to a thankful Thursday. I am excited about what God is going to do as far as our worship experience is concerned. We have so much, let me say it again, so much to be thankful for. I do want to say before we get started that uh, we had to have a shift as far as our preacher is concerned for tonight. Uh, our preacher for tonight will be the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. I will introduce him a little bit later uh, due to a mix-up as far as scheduling was concerned. Uh, but we do have Dr. Moss who will be sharing with us as far as uh, the preaching moment is concerned. But guess what? This is what I need you to do. If you are watching us on Facebook, YouTube, or engaging in our live chat online, we need you to do a couple of favors for us. Our digital ministers and social media influencers are ready to walk with you on this evening. On Facebook, share your personal timeline without starting a separate watch party. I want to make sure we stay in the same chat stream. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And then text this link to the other worship service to your personal network. And if you are in our chat room, we ask that you will share this experience with others. Amen. I'm excited about what God is going to do as far as this wet, rainy evening is concerned. And here's the deal. Under normal circumstances, we would have been asking you to come to the sanctuary. However, because of this pandemic, we're not having that. And so we have eliminated excuses Cause of the rain for you not to join in worship. So I want you to do me a favor. Call your friend, text folks that you know, have them to join in and be thankful for what God is doing as far as your life is concerned. Reverend Peyton C. is going to lead us as far as the worship experience is concerned. And um, uh, Sister Evelyn Portia has a wonderful testimony that she's going to share about what she give God thanks for. So we're looking forward to the Lord blessing us as far as this worship experience is concerned. Peyton, at this time, would you come and do what you are charged to do? Thank you, Pastor. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our second night of Thankful Thursdays. I don't know about you, but it might be rainy outside, but there's so much that we have to be thankful for right now. Tonight, this evening, it's, we can celebrate and we can thank God for what he is doing in our lives, that we are alive and well, and that we can see another Thursday, another Thankful Thursday tonight. God is going to do some amazing things. Psalm 34 says, I will extol the Lord at all time. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us celebrate what God has done through the singing of our opening hymn. Oh, how I love Jesus.
does he first love me? Something to be thankful for uh, this evening that Jesus has first loved us, even despite of us sometimes. Amen. We are going to go to uh, God's word right now and be reading from uh, Isaiah chapter 57. And I'll be reading from verses 14 through 21. I'll be reading from the New International Version. uh, If you would like to follow along here in the book of Isaiah chapter 57 verses 14 through 21. The scripture says this. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry for then they would faint away because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger, yet they kept on in their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest. Those whose waves cast up mire and mud, There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. This is the reading of of the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you please join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you, Lord, this evening, thankful for what you have done for us, Lord, through Jesus, and thankful for the comfort, God, that you are able to offer us, Lord, that your spirit brings on us in times of trouble when we need you the most. And so, God, I pray right now, this evening, this night, this thankful Thursday night, God, that we would be comforted by you and that we would be able to praise you for your wondrous comfort and just how great you are. Lord, we love you. I pray that you would clear away everything, all troubles and all afflictions from all of our minds tonight and let our soul focus, God, being on praising you with our lips and hearing your word, God, for our hearts and for our minds so that they might change to become more like your son, Jesus. Be with us right now in this place, God. Help us to love you and to praise your mighty name. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.
evening. Good evening. My name is Evelyn Porsche. And um, when the pastor asked me would I um, testify because he just knew I had so much to say. Um, actually, I do. I've been a registered nurse for over 32 years. So I've seen some things. I've been blessed that I have had two children who are healthy, two grandchildren who are healthy, and abundance of family members who are, are just tremendously in the, in the word of God. They know who God, God is. Um, in 2012, um, I, my whole career pretty much has been intensive care. But in 2012, I was at a heart-lung bypass machine, and I got a text that said that one of my best friends was on their way to the hospital. Um, they believed that she had had a heart attack, and um, I, couldn't, I couldn't think. I couldn't fathom, because here I was um, faced with the prospect of uh, maybe having to put that friend on that machine that I run all the time. And if you've ever seen a heart-lung bypass machine, it is tremendously overwhelming. It surpasses any kind of technology you would ever want to see in a hospital. And it's usually for the more critically ill of patients. She was brought into the, um, the Dixon Heart Unit at that time, it was called. And come to find out, she had something more tremendous to me in intensity. She had what they called an aortic dissection. If any of you know any kind of anatomy, the, the aorta comes off of the heart, and it's and with every squeeze of the heart, the aorta pushes blood and propels oxygenated blood to where it needs to go in the body. But when it is dissected, when it splits, when it blows, all that pumping of blood does not go where it needs to go. So in most of the time, the people, most people who have suffered it do not survive aortic dissection. I don't know how many of you know what a miracle looks like. But when you deal with that kind of thing and to see the person laying there on the bed and, and you're praying, you're constantly walking around the bed and you're anointing and you're praying and praying and praying for things to, to just work out. You want to, but in my head and in my mind, I know what I know, what I see and I know what the numbers say and the numbers look like. You are in a, a, a single digit percentage of survival for this condition so I watched my friend and God is so tremendous in his work and in his worth and in his his way of of just letting us know that he is still in control no matter what the numbers said no matter what the the doctor said she was on a ventilator she ended up being trached she ended up doing all kinds of things but today this is 2012 that this happened today is 2020 she is walking around she is totally with it she has not lost anything she is totally coherent she is wonderful and she knows who God is and that's what a miracle is because when God has touched you so much that you can you can just Everything you do is expounded on everybody around you. You can feel the presence of God when you are that miracle. People know it just by your presence. And when she walks into a room, people look at, look at her and go, oh, why didn't she have a cane? In fact, the disability court was like, you don't look sick. You should be able to go to work. They, didn't they don't even understand because that's not even in their, in their book. 
when you go to disability court, they look at you, you have a heart attack. Oh yeah, that's about a 20%, that's about a 50%. Hers is not in the book because technically she wasn't supposed to be here. That is what a miracle looks like in every, it, it's so many times in my career that I've seen those kinds of miracles. But when he asked me to test, I was like, you know, people need to know that God is still in the healing business, that God is still in the miracle business, that if you think in this circumstances and situation that you're going through, that you're just not going to make it, trust, believe, and realize that God is still in control. I know we have lost people through the COVID. I know we have. I just lost a friend on Monday. I know we are still losing, but know that this world is temporary and that if you have filled your heart with the spirit of God, then know that you're going to see those people again. You're going to see them again. So if you're ever bombarded by illness, trust God. Leave it to God, and he will see you through. God bless you. Disciples of St. Paul, it is offering time. Let's give God praise for the wonderful opportunity to connect and to partner with our God as far as offering is concerned. As we prepare to give tonight, I want to remind you that your offering this evening goes to support the work and the ministry here at the St. Paul Church. Um, if you want to bring your offering to the church at 1401 Allen Street, you can bring check or money order or cash to the church. and We will put it in our safe deposit box. And if you're giving for Thankful Thursday, put on your envelope, Thankful Thursday. If you want to give as far as our website is concerned, you can go to our website and follow the giving prompts there. Or you can give through the app called Givelify. If you don't have that app on your smart device, download that app to your smart device. Search for St. Paul Baptist Church, Charlotte, North Carolina. You ought to see this beautiful sanctuary. That means you got the right St. Paul connected to your favorite credit card. And you can, in three clicks, give through the app called Givelify. So as we prepare to give, I just want you all to know tonight, I am sowing a seed of $100 as far as this work is concerned. Um, and those that want to join me can. I have learned through the uh, process of sowing and reaping that there is a wonderful blessing to that. And we don't sow and reap to get. We sow and reap because we are blessed. So as we prepare to give, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. God, we thank you and we come and we give unto you in anticipation for what you're going to do in our lives and what you're going to do through the St. Paul Church. I pray right now, God, in the name of your son, Jesus, that as we prepare to give this offering, that you will bless this offering in a tangible way. And that, God, that you will empower us to do what you have called and commissioned us to do. Bless those, oh God, that do give. Bless those that wish they could give more, but can't, but they are giving something. And God, I pray you will continue to uh, mess with those who feel like they don't have to do anything. They don't have to give anything so that they can become more aligned with your heart and your spirit. We thank you, oh God, for what you're going to do as far as this offering is concerned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is with wonderful delight that I want to present. It is with wonderful delight that I want to present.
It is with wonderful delight that I want to present to some and introduce to others uh, our feature preacher as far as this thankful Thursday worship service is concerned. Uh, it was supposed to be Reverend Danielle Brown. She's going to share with us on next Thursday, and we're looking forward to her blessing us with a word next week. However, for tonight, we have with us one of this country's premier preachers uh, across the width and breadth of this land and of this world. He is none other than the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, the senior pastor at Trinity United Church of Christ in Chicago, Illinois. With Dr. Otis Moss, I've been knowing uh, Dr. Moss, oh my gosh, since 1990, when uh, he was student body president at Morehouse College, and I was serving as student body president at Jackson State. Our paths crossed at several uh, meetings whenever black colleges met. And of course, we touch base with each other and we follow each other. And he is one of my favorite preachers. Uh, Dr. Moss used to pastor in Augusta, Georgia at the Tabernacle Baptist Church where he grew that church from 125 members to 2,100 members before the Lord called him to go and assist the Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright where he would eventually succeed him as pastor. Dr. Moss basically practices and preaches a black theology that unapologetically calls attention to the problems of mass incarceration, environmental justice, and economic inequality. Rather, uh, He is a part of a new generation of ministers committed to preaching a prophetic message of love and justice, which he believes is inseparable as far as it's forming the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a native of Cleveland, Ohio. He is an honors graduate of Morehouse College. He attended Yale Divinity School and earned the Master of Divinity. And then he attended Chicago Theological Seminary and earned a Doctor of Ministry degree there. Back in 2014, he was called upon to present the famous Lyman Beecher Lecture Series at Yale Divinity School. And that is a high honor for any preacher, regardless of his or her gender and or ethnicity. He has this unique gift, almost theopoetic uh, aspect when it comes to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a newly initiated member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, and he is married to his college sweetheart, Monica a Spellman graduate, and they are the proud parents of two children, Elijah and Michaela. After we have a song from our choir, I want you to sit with anticipation I want you to put on your listening ear, and I want you to hear the wisdom from heaven that will stir your soul, that will be shared by my friend and brother, the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. Pray for him and with him as the Lord will use him in a mighty and magnificent way during this preaching moment. And I guarantee you will be blessed by his word.
come to that moment in this worship experience where we prepare to approach the Word of God. I want to offer a prayer coming from John O'Donohue, the great poet and writer and sage. And this book I've been reading over and over to bless the space between us. It's a prayer for courage. It's a blessing for courage. And let us be courageous as we approach God's word and we reflect on what our nation needs. Let us go to pray to the Lord in prayer right now. When the light around us lessens and our thoughts darken until our body feels fear turn cold as a stone inside. When we find ourselves bereft of any belief in ourselves and all we know is unknowingly fallen away. When one voice commands your whole heart and it is raven dark, may we, O oh God, learn how to steady ourselves and see that it is our own thinking that darkens our world. Search that we may find the light breaking through the darkness. Search that we may find that there has been a purpose ordained in the midst of our darkness. Search that we may find and take hold of the courage Courage at midnight and not only during midday. You call us to be courageous, to love compassionately, to love justly, to love joyously, and to love with a liberating spirit. May courage rest on us this day as we approach your word. In the name of the one who brings courage to the weak and mends those who are broken. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to examine a passage of scripture coming from the fifth chapter of Mark. The fifth chapter of Mark will come up on the screen. And we'll invite you to turn with us uh, to Mark chapter 5. And you are more than welcome uh, to stand at this time as we approach uh, the word of God, as we approach uh, the throne of God's grace. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, it reads this way from the New International Version. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit, another translation, a man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, another translation, this man lived in a space of no investment. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been chained, another translation, he had been incarcerated, hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs, 
among the dead region, among the place with no economic investment. He yelled and cried out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Another translation, he shouted, Rabbi, what do you want with me? Do not torture me. For Jesus had said to the man, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And Jesus asked, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off, reported this to the town and the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. The OM3 translation says, The people began to plead with Jesus, You got to get up out of here. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. He said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how God has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell everyone in the region of Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man he had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was now sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. He was sitting, dressed, and he was in his right mind, and they were afraid. I'd like to place a tag here. And for us to focus on this idea, nation in crisis, it's time to name the demon. A nation in crisis, it is time to name the demon. I begin this day by quoting one of America's greatest literary heroes, a gentleman by the name of James Baldwin. 
I would submit to you that he is America's Jeremiah, because there has not been a writer who dipped their pen into ink, who spoke with such ferocious power to those who thought they were untouchable. It was Baldwin who stated, not everything faced can be changed, but not until you face it can it be changed. And it is America that refuses to face certain aspects of her history. America wants to write a particular framework of what her history is about. There are those who want to believe in the particular lies of how this country was structured and how this country rose to power. It must be noted that America's wealth, America's power, America's standing is not solely based upon American ingenuity and uh, the creation of a founding document known as the Constitution. But as in the book, the half has never been told that America's wealth was built upon stolen land and the backs of stolen people. But what is so tragic in this is that the church, Jesus's church, has been complicit in not only the stealing of the land, the stealing of people, but also in promoting a lie in reference to the history of this country. It is interesting that today uh, we frame what is known as evangelicalism as now the poster child of anti-Jesus thought. There was a time, the turn of the century, in the 1800s, in the 1700s, what was known as the Great Awakening, where those who framed themselves as evangelical, who took the Bible seriously, believed in the power of Jesus, and believed that the Holy Spirit could possess one, that they were at the forefront of anti-slavery movement. They were at the forefront of the suffrage movement for women. But something happened where the church that was supposed to promote the ideals of Jesus decided to put down Jesus and lift up the idol of systematic racism that are known as white supremacy. That many people who have left the church left the church because they had an encounter with a mean and cruel ecclesiastical body of believers who bowed down to capitalism more than they bowed down to Christ. I would even say to you on this day that much of what we see in America, American Christianity is not Christ-centered but capitalist-based. It is more 
more like a people in ecclesiastical garments who have wrapped up capitalism and tried to repackage it and sell it as Christianity. And then tied a unique bow around it, a bow of racism and xenophobia, and then presented it to the people and said, this is the faith that we shall operate out of. If the church is to be the church, and I speak not specifically of the black church tradition, which is radically different uh, from the American version or the European version of evangelicalism, but, but if the church is to regain its authority, somebody must name the demon. That we have been possessed, possessed by spirits that have nothing to do with the love of Christ, but everything to do with power and privilege. Uh, the most uh, beneficial, and not beneficial, but uh, the voting block that can be consistently relied upon uh, to vote in a direction that lifts up xenophobia, uh, that embraces racism, uh, that uh, lifts up misogyny and patriarchy, has been this American form of evangelicalism. At some point, we must name the demon if the church is to regain its authority and return back to the faith of Christ and not the religion of this world. And I believe that the word of God speaks to us on this day on how the church must reform itself and develop a liberation-centered ministry. If we, if we are to rise collectively as a people, as a community, we must have a liberation ethic that is framed uh, from the love and just action of Jesus Christ. Let me, for a moment, press this idea. Press this idea of uh, the authority of the church has been broken by the idolatry of the church bowing down uh, to racialized thinking and white supremacy and patriarchy. Let me press this point that the church has lost its power. And let me press it on to even say that uh, many black churches uh, that were once marginalized but also prophetic because they were seeing the viewpoint of this world from a different lens. These were the spaces where we said before, I'll be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. These are the spaces that built institutions and schools. These are the spaces uh, that uh, gave Nat Turner his power to resist. 
Sojourner Truth her call to say, ain't I a woman? That gave Harriet Tubman uh, the anointing to say that I am Moses in the flesh. That gave Frederick Douglass his authority to stand up and speak about the 4th of July as a lie before those who are held in bondage in this nation. This tradition, one of the most powerful traditions in this land, has been tainted has in many ways been broken because it has rubbed elbows with a tradition, a religion that is not deeply connected to the faith of Christ. We have to name the demon. And the scripture that we lift up today helps us to understand how, how we must we must name a particular demon if we are to be set free. But I must give a different framing of this text that we have heard over and over again because it gives us a liberation framing and teaches us how we collectively are to name those things so that we can change these things. I first must frame it from this perspective that this is the writing of Mark. Mark is that a writer who has deep issues with Roman imperialism. He is always fighting against the empire. That's why I like Mark. Mark is unafraid to say that there are problems uh, with uh, Roman colonialism. Because within uh, the back of his mind, there is still an echo in his ear from what was known as the Maccabean Revolt. That Maccabean Revolt was that moment when the Persians made their way into what was known as Palestine to take over uh, the land of the Jews. And those Jewish people who were in the synagogue remembered the fact that uh, the God they served had already released them from enslavement and colonialism. They remembered that God said to them, let my people go. They remembered uh, that they had been under the thumb of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, and it was in this particular context that they were able to push out the Persians. But it was the Romans who were watching. And they realized that, that if we are going to take over this land of Palestine. We cannot destroy the temple. We've got to build a relationship with the bourgeoisie in the community. And so the Romans made a deal with those who were in power, whether they were tax collectors, whether they were middle class business owners, whether they were considered to be uh, the political elite and those who are high priests. Continue on with how you function as a community, but do not criticize Rome. Talk about personal piety, all of you preachers. To talk about your next level blessing. Talk about prosperity. Talk about things that are personal, but don't talk about anything that is public. Do not criticize Caesar, or you will find out that we will send forces in your community 
that may not even have an insignia on their shoulder, and they may just sweep you up if you're anywhere near a federal plaza or a Roman-esque building. Don't, don't criticize. Just go along and let people deal with personal spiritual issues and do not connect the personal to what is happening in public. This is the echo of what happens uh, as Mark is writing. He is dealing with this. This is the dust that is upon the parchment of the paper that he is writing upon. He knows the pain of being a subjugated individual, and he has an issue with Rome. That is why this text is a call to every person of faith. Because you will notice what Jesus does. Jesus has been traveling to and fro, calling different people uh, part of this nonviolent revolutionary movement. And he sails across the sea, across the water that is considered to be owned by Rome, lands upon the region that is near Decapolis, that now Rome owns everything that used to be a part of Palestine, uh, that even changed the names of the sea and the roads that they were used to. He travels on the other side, but he does not go into a city. He goes into a space specifically called uh, the tombs. He goes into a region known as the tombs. Now, do not, do not miss this. Jesus makes his way into a region, a region, an area called the tombs, because there is a man there in the tombs who sees Jesus. But do not miss this, the tombs. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is the master teacher, the rabbi. Uh, when one interprets the Levitical laws from a fundamentalist perspective, he should not be in a cemetery. He should not be anywhere that is considered to be unclean. But do not miss this. Jesus goes into the tombs, and a man who's been living in the tombs comes to see about Jesus. Do not miss this. The man has been living in a region, in an area that has no economic development, an area that has uh, uh, no one building new businesses, no school system, health care, nothing of that nature. He's living in a dead place. And everybody assumes that this is a place to be avoided. It is not a place of resurrection. But now the one who can resurrect the dead is showing up in a place that everybody has already discounted. He's coming to the south side, the west side of Decapolis. He's coming to a region that everybody else says no one should be a part of. There is no economic development. There are no schools that are being built. There are new, no new businesses. There is no health care available in this area. And this man has been living there. He has been living in a space that everybody else forgot. Ah, but it does not end right there. This man sees Jesus.
But this is no ordinary man. This man has some challenges. Because it says here that he's living in the tombs, but he also has some chains around his wrist and around his ankles. Which means that someone was trying to incarcerate him. So we have an incarcerated man living in a place with no economic development, no health care, but he's living in this space nonetheless. Can you not see it? Can you see this man who has been living in this space with no economic development, but yet people were trying to incarcerate this man? But do not miss this. He's living in the tombs. People tried to incarcerate him because he is a part of the mass incarceration system. But notice that he is not given a name. It is just a man with an unclean spirit. In other words, he is defined by his condition and not necessarily by who he is. And biblically, if you want to understand with clarity that any time in the Bible someone is not given a name, it means that they are the marginalized of the marginalized. If it's just a woman who comes to see Jesus, it means that that is a marginalized person. Look in Scripture of how names are structured. That someone has a name indicates that they have status, that they have worth. But if they have a name and you also get their father's name, you know that they have a higher status within the Jewish community. He's a man that doesn't even have a name. He's defined by his situation. How challenging it is. When people only define you by your condition. And in the words of Bishop Frank Reed, one should never confuse condition with your conclusion. And just because he has this condition does not mean that he will be concluded in the tombs, incarcerated. But there's something else here. It says he has an unclean spirit, that he has been cutting himself day and night, yelling at the moon, howling at the sun. He has been doing all of this, meaning that he has some mental health challenges also. But look at what the people do. He has chains around his wrists, chains around his ankles, that he has a mental health challenge. And instead of providing health care, they decide to incarcerate him. This sounds like every city in America. That instead of providing health, we provide incarceration. I'm going to stop here parenthetically to remind those who are listening to this message. I, I give this message from Chicago, Illinois. And Chicago has the poor distinction of having the largest mental health facility in the United States, known as the Cook County Jail. That there are 10,000 people incarcerated there. And remember, jail is not prison. You are placed in jail before you go on trial. In other words, 10,000 people who are innocent, because you are innocent until proven guilty, 
because they do not have the money to be able to pay the judge in order to go home free, they must wait for their trial as they are incarcerated. And the majority of people there are people with mental health issues. Even our sheriff here in Cook County, uh, Sheriff Dart says, it makes no sense. I have not been trained to be a mental health worker, nor am I a doctor, but the system is structured in such a way. And the system is structured in such a way where instead of making, allowing people to thrive to their highest level, we would rather incarcerate and marginalize him. And here is this man living among the tombs. A man who has been incarcerated and has an unclean spirit, that he has mental health issues. And often preachers always want to preach this particular text and talk about the fact that he was possessed uh, spiritually, not realizing that he was living in a place that had no economic development, that he had been incarcerated because people did not want to offer compassion and love, and he had mental health issues, but yet he was howling at the wind, at the, at the howling at the sun, and yelling at the moon day and night. No one seems to care, and no one even knows his name. Something is wrong in a nation, a nation that is more comfortable with marginalizing people, more comfortable with incarcerating people who need mental health, more comfortable with throwing people away than giving people what they need to thrive. And there are those who are listening to this message who are probably saying, well, you don't understand. These, these people are dangerous. They probably did something. The only thing that they did is many of them were just born poor and some were just born black and therefore they ended up in these moments because America refuses to face the demon. The demon not of COVID-19, but the demon of COVID-1619. The moment that Africans landed upon these shores and the fact that a system was built in order to enrich America, but also marginalize another group of people. And so we see within this particular text that we see that this man runs to Jesus. Now, can you imagine a man half naked running to Jesus? He had been cutting himself. He had chains around his wrist and around his ankles. He runs to Jesus. And as he runs to Jesus, he falls before him and says, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you have to do with me? Do not torture me. But let me give you a different translation, because one, when one translates directly from Greek into English, there is a word that is not given in the New International Version. It says this. It says, Rabbi, what do you have to do with me? Do not torture me. And one must make a fundamental uh, hermeneutical approach in reference to this text and raise a question. The man says, Rabbi, because he's raising a question. Uh, that we must raise, do not torture me. First of all, how did the man know Jesus was a rabbi? 
Now, those who want to skirt this uh, hermeneutically simply want to jump over this and say that he recognized that it was the Son of God, uh, that he could see uh, the Spirit around him. Uh, that's how. And he knew it was Jesus. Hold on. That when one reads from Greek, it says rabbi. He says rabbi. In other words, he says religious person, ecclesiastical leader, preacher, uh, apostle, and bishop. Do not torture me. Now, how did he know that he was a rabbi? I submit to you today that he knew that he was a rabbi because he had an encounter with religious people before. That it was the trauma of religion he was responding to. And part of the thing that we need to recognize if we are to name a demon and the church is to gain its authority once again is that religion is a problem. But faith is the answer. Hmm. Religion is a problem because that is a particular system. And within America, the religion of America is not Christ. But the religion in America is capitalism. And many of us have been injured by religion. And we ended up leaving the church because religion ended up hurting us. But I'm here to let you know that God wants you to regain your faith. Because there's a difference between religion and your faith. You see, religion is all about a system but faith is about a relationship and when you regain your faith it will change the way that you see the world it was religion that was traumatic to this man that he had an encounter with some other rabbis who decided to torture him and unfortunately there are so many religious people who are the worst representatives of Jesus you ever want to meet I'm reminded of what uh, several millennials say, that they, uh, they, they love Jesus, but they can't stand the church. Because they know that Jesus is about love and liberation, but the church seems to be often about judgment and about hurting people from the pulpit. How many people have been injured by some foolish preacher or some ignorant religious doctrine that says that you are not a child of God? Religion injures but faith saves and this man this man had an encounter with religion but is about to have an experience with faith my lord look at what happens he falls upon his knees that even in his state of confusion he falls on his knees knowing that he had been injured by religious people but this is a different person he is encountering a person by the name of Jesus and watch what Jesus does it's so powerful it is so beautiful Jesus does something that the church must learn how to do Jesus says to this gentleman he says come out you unclean spirit Hmm, come out of this man. And then he raises a question. He says, what's your name? Do not miss what Jesus is doing. This is an ancient tradition. Tradition within the African, Asiatic tradition of northern Africa uh, and also in central Africa and other spaces, uh, not in the Americas. There is a belief uh, that if you can name something, you can control it and cast it out. That once you know its name, it has no power over you. And maybe that is the problem in America. 
But there are so many people that are refusing to name what is happening in this nation. And that is the reason that this nation is in crisis. That we have to name, name some of the demons. The demon of systematic racism. The demon of patriarchy and misogyny. The demon of xenophobia. We've got to name these particular demons if we want to cast them out from this republic. He says, what is your name? Listen, what is your name? What is your name? But, but look at, at how the, the answer is structured. He, he says, what is your name? But then the answer is, we are legion, for we are many. You missed, you missed what happened. Jesus said, what is your name? And the answer comes back, we are legion, for we are many. Jesus is talking to the man, and all of his issues end up answering. The man doesn't even speak. It is the issues that speak, and how often it is that our issues end up going before us. What is your name? We are legion. But notice how it is Mark who structures this. I had already set things up to let you know how Mark feel, feels about Rome. He says, we are legion. The term legion is a Roman military term. It is a term uh, that says, that means 10,000, a battalion of soldiers. You would send out a legion of soldiers when you want to take over a city, a town, a legion of powerful soldiers who would decimate everything in their path. And it is Mark who says, uh, I'm going to use this term to explain what, what, what is going on here. He, he could have used any other term, but he uses a Roman military term. Now, often, when we interpret this, we usually interpret this from the perspective a spiritual perspective saying that he is possessed solely on the spiritual level of by demont, demonic entities. Uh, one can frame that. I do not discount that at all whatsoever. But I believe that you have to merge the two if you are to understand uh, hermeneutically what, what is happening here with this interpretive lens. Uh, that Mark uses legion, that term, a Roman military term. Because what Mark is trying to say, that Mark is trying to say is that the man is possessed by 10,000 Roman policies. That he is possessed by a legion. In other words, uh, the policies of Rome that put chains around my wrist, put chains around my ankles. The policies that put me living in the tombs and says that I am marginalized. The policies that don't even call me by my name just, just sees me as a marginalized person who has no history, who has no heritage. I've been possessed by these Roman names and these Roman policies. And so many of us have been possessed by Roman names and Roman policies. And the man says, we, uh, we are legion. The demons speak, the issues speak. But, but watch what happens. It is so powerful because Jesus is asking the name. Jesus says, come out of him, you unclean spirit. In other words, I want all 
of those policies. I want all of those ideas. I want all of that colonization. I want all of that miseducation. I want all of that mess that's in your spirit. I want it to come out because I want you to know who you are and I want you to know whose you are. And you cannot understand who you are if you've got all of these Roman ideas swimming in your head trying to tell you who you are and who you are not. You will place a ceiling on your limitations if you listen to those who only want to exploit you. And because Jesus is so smooth and Jesus is so bad, I, I love Jesus. I, I'm a Jesus man. I, I love Jesus. You will notice here that the demons begin lobbying Jesus uh, to say, Jesus, please do not send us to the ninth circle of Dante's Inferno. Uh, can you send us someplace nearby, maybe 100 meters, maybe a uh, football field away, whatever it may be. Can you send us somewhere else? Don't, don't banish us forever because we know you have all power. Because angels bow before you and demons will have to flee. We, we understand that. So, so I even have to lobby. I want to lobby right now. Please don't miss this. That even the spirits, uh, the demonic spirits have to lobby Jesus because Jesus has that much power. And Jesus, with his smooth self, uh, says, go on uh, with your bad self. Uh, because there is a herd of pigs nearby. And so the demons are requesting, could you just send us into the pigs? I know we've been in this man, but, but send us into the pigs. There's a, a herd of 2,000. Can we go there? Jesus says, go on. Uh, go on into the pigs. And so uh, the spirits jump into the pigs. And the pigs immediately jump over a cliff and are drowned. And one could say that they committed pigicide, uh, that they killed themselves. But please do not miss this. That you will notice, I'm not great at math, but I will notice here that it says that there are 2,000 pigs. 2,000. And that there is a legion of demons, 10,000. I'm not good at math, but, but I believe that means about five demon per pig. And as soon as the pigs uh, get some of this hell in them, they know I can't handle all of this, and they take themselves out. Well, which raises a fundamental question about this man. The pigs couldn't handle five demons, but the man was still surviving with 10,000 demons. Somebody missed their shout. I'm here to let you know uh, that there are people that are so strong and don't even know how much strength they have in their spirit. That they tried to incarcerate him, but he broke the chains. Uh, they tried to marginalize him, but he kept howling in the night and screaming during the day. All that they tried to do, the man has so much power. And when we begin to look at people who are living in the tombs, not from their deficits, but from the fact that you've been through all of this and you are still here, you've been through all of this hell and high water and you are still here, there's something powerful in you that even a legion of demons can't take you out. Ah, this man had such power. Ah, and at that moment, the pigs ah, kill themselves, commit this pigicide, and those who were tending the pigs are looking and said, oh my goodness, we've got to let everybody know what has happened. But please, I want to help somebody here. You will notice that the pigs commit pigicide. The pigs 
kill themselves. You missed it again. The pigs kill themselves. Pigs. The pork kills themselves. The bacon is no more. The pork chops are gone. The fat back is not around anymore. The ham hocks are not there. None of it is around. No more ribs, nothing. They are not around anymore. You're still missing this. You must raise this question. What are pigs doing in Palestine since Jews do not eat pork? It means that somebody is making money off of an illicit trade, selling what should not be sold to people uh, that are in the region. You need to see the power of this is that Jesus frees one man but upsets the economic order at the same time. You see, you must understand that our ministry, we must name the demon. And the church has been unafraid. We just want somebody to accept Jesus as their personal savior. But when you accept Jesus, it shouldn't just free you. It should also upset the economic order and turn some things upside down. Because wherever Jesus shows up, something else happens in the process. And the economic order is turned upside down. And so this man is released at the same time, Jesus is releasing a new economic order by releasing this man. If we are to rise together as a community, we must understand that we are not just called to release individuals, that it is the spirit of God calling us to ensure that we are releasing collectively an entire community. It's nice that you got blessed. I'm glad that God said that you're highly favored, but I'm here to let you know that if you are blessed, but you are and highly favored and you are keeping your blessings for yourself, that's not a blessing. That's a stumbling block because God blessed you so that you can bless somebody. Stop walking around talking about you're highly favored. You ain't got no favor until you pass your favor to somebody else. So we see in this man that this man has been released. He has been set free. And the men who were taking care of the pigs had to run home and tell everybody, come and see that they have messed up our trade. They have messed up our supply, that what we've been selling on the corner uh, is no longer available. Something is happening economically in the place called the tombs because this man named Jesus showed up. And they come back to see about this man by the name of Jesus. But something happens, and I love it. It says here that the man who was formerly incarcerated, living in the tombs, who was yelling at night and screaming during the day, uh, this man who had been possessed by an unclean spirit, a legion of demons, is now clothed and sitting and in his right mind. I said he's clothed. He's sitting and he's in his right mind. Oh, you miss this. And it says that they are afraid. They were not afraid when he had chains around his wrist. They were not afraid when he had chains around his ankles. They were not afraid when he was living in the tombs. But it's now that he knows who he is. Now that he's in his right mind. That all of a sudden, people are afraid. People are not afraid of you when you're not in your right mind. 
when you are chained by things in society. People are not afraid of you when you refuse not to vote. They do not suppress the vote uh, because they think something's wrong with you or you don't deserve it. The reason the vote is being uh, suppressed is because they are afraid of the power that you possess. This man was clothed and in his right mind. They become afraid at the moment that he's in his right mind and he can make some decisions to change his community. And this is something so powerful. He's a man is sitting, meaning that he is now in a position and has power. Uh, that there is something unique about having a uh, position and power. There is a difference between position and uh, power. I'm reminded what the pastor uh, Willie Francois says, uh, that you need to know the difference between position and power. You see, Pharaoh had a position, but Moses had power. Jericho had a position, but Joshua had power. Jabin had position, but Deborah had power. Goliath had position, but David had the power. Nebuchadnezzar had a position, but Daniel had the power. Herod had a position, but John had the power. The cross has a position, but Jesus has the power. Buchanan had a position, but Harriet Tubman has the power. Abe Lincoln has a position, but Frederick Douglass has the power. Woodrow Wilson had a position, but Ida B. Wells has the power. Rosa Parks had the position. Uh, Rosa Parks had a power. George Wallace had a position, but Rosa Parks had the power. LBJ had a position, but Martin Luther King Jr. had the power. Trump has a position, but I'm here to let you know we have the power. You need to know the difference between position and power. And now this man has power, and he also has a new position. And so something happens for the first time in all of Scripture that the people now lobby Jesus and say to him, you got to get up out of here. You cannot be in here. He is sent out and Jesus is fine. I will leave you. And the man comes running after Jesus and says to Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no, nah, bro, you can't come with me. You see, I can't have you come with me because if you come with me, everybody will assume you've always been clothed and in your right mind. I want you to go home to your family. I want you to go home to your friends. I want you to walk through the neighborhood and let people see what I've done in your life. And I can imagine in my sanctified imagination that this gentleman is now walking through the community and they're saying that isn't that the gentleman who used to be yelling at night and screaming during the day who is incarcerated what happened to him and i can hear him open his mouth and say say i met a man by the name of jesus he named the demon in my life and he turned my life around and he went through every roman community known as the capitalist and let everybody know who jesus is and if the church is to regain its authority in the midst of a crisis that we are right now, we've got to put down a white evangelical framework and pick up a black liberation framework and be able to say with authority that we love Jesus and we know Jesus and we can share Jesus, but not just on the personal.
personal level, but on a level that will change our community. Because when Jesus sets you free, he will also set free people in the community because the relationship that you have with other people, you will share with them what God has done in your life. I've got to get out of here, but I feel like preaching right now because when I think about the goodness of Jesus and all that God has done for me and all that God will do, I'm here to let you know we've got to name the demon. We've got to name the demon of the social determinants of health. We've got to name the demon of miseducation. We've got to name the demon of racism. We've got to name the demon of homophobia. We've got to name the demon of sexism. We've got to name the demon of the disempowerment of our community. We've got to name the demon. And when we name the demon and call on the name of Jesus, we will be set free. We will speak with power. We will see our children rise. We will see this community change. We will see something new that will transform our lives. Good day. May the Lord bless you real good. Can anybody in here call on the name of Jesus? Can you call on his name? And if you call his name, he will ship your spirit and change your life. He is the one who rules. He is the one who will change. He is the one who will bless. His name is. Can you call his name? His name is. His name is Jesus. Our nation is in crisis. We must learn how to name the demon. And the church must put down idols and pick up the love of Christ so that we can see transformation of the individual, but also transformation of the community. It's time to name the demon. God bless you. Wow, what a powerful, powerful message by Reverend uh, Dr. Moss, being able to name the demon and to claim this freedom that Christ has offered us, this love that he has offered us to enter into a relationship uh, with us. And so as we enter into this time, this moment of invitation and this moment of discipleship, I'm wondering if, if God used that message from Reverend Dr. Moss or if he used something in our service, whether it was the testimonies uh, that were shared uh, tonight or if it was, man, the love of God that we were singing about. Man, I, I, it is my prayer that if something touched you, if God is touching you through that tonight, that you would be able to take a step of faith. He could be calling you right now to enter into a relationship with him. If you don't yet have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, then I'd like to invite you right now uh, to pray this prayer with me, a prayer of acceptance, a prayer of salvation uh, that will bring him into your life and will change you forever from the inside out and that will give you an eternal home in him. Bow your, eye, uh, bow your head and close your eyes and pray this prayer aloud with me. Dear God, have mercy on me. I confess to you tonight that I have sinned against you. Although I have messed up in my life, I believe that you died to save me from my sins. In this moment, I am coming to you saying that I want you in my life, Jesus. You have set me free and now I give you my all.
to follow and to serve you for the rest of my life. Thank you for your love, God. Thank you for saving me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer with me and you prayed that prayer for the first time, then I'd like to invite you to type the word salvation um, in the comment section below, to type that word in the box and our digital ministers will reach out to you and they will respond to you as soon as possible to help you understand what decision it is that you just made for Jesus Christ. Is that prayer as simple as accepting him into your life and having a relationship with God? It sure is. It sure is. That's faith and that's the grace of God in action. And then also too, I wonder if you've accepted Christ, some of you out there might be looking for a church home right now. And if you're looking for a church home, you've made a decision for Jesus, but you're looking to be plugged into a community, a place where you can come and be a part of a community of believers and grow in that faith that you have in Jesus, then I want to invite you to type the word connect in the comments section below. You can also email us both for this invitation of to be a part of the St. Paul community or the invitation to accept Jesus as Lord. You can, um, you can email us at connect at spbcnc.org or for either one, you can call us at the church office at 704-334-5309. Again, that's 704-334-5309. Man, we will answer you within 24 to 48 hours and make sure that you understand what decision it is that you make because we would love to have you be a part of this community and we would love to help you understand the decision for Jesus that you made. But then if you're in town right now and you belong to a church back home, maybe where you were from and you're in Charlotte right now and you're saying, man, this St. Paul church is something that I want to be a part of while I'm here in Charlotte. If that's the case, then I want you to type watch care, watch care in the comments section below. You can also email us again at connected spbcnc.org or give us a call at the church office at 704-334-5309. Man, I hope and pray that you enjoy Thankful Thursday night two tonight as we continued in our series of being thankful this month. If God touched your heart in some way, I want to invite you, don't be afraid to post it on social media. Don't be afraid to share it amongst your friends and your family that God changed your life because God could use your testimony to change someone else's life, amen? God could use you to bring about change. As we prepare to close our time together tonight, I'd like to invite all of you to pray this blessing, this benediction as we go our separate ways. Let me pray this prayer over you. Dear Lord, God, bless us and keep us right now. Keep us in your sovereign care. There's so much that we have, God, to be thankful for as we go about our days in this world. May your many blessings and your love be on our hearts as we go out into the mission field to be your hands and your feet. Help us to live in the freedom that you've given us, the freedom that you've called us to in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Man, thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you back next week for Thankful Thursday, night number three. Man, God bless you and take care. Have a good night.